Hey, time for another installment of the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast. My name is Todd Mitchell. Tonight I'll be talking to our buddy John Scheiber about a variety of topics. We don't have a guest this time, but we're going to have some interesting, um, just some uh, fun discussion about things like financing your studio, business models for a game, and we're going to talk about just a variety of other things like virtual reality, soda, (laughs) <laughs> it's always fun with John, and I, uh, I know you guys enjoy that stuff. And we're going to try to get back to basics and really dig into the game dev topics. So I hope you enjoy that. Here's my chat with John. Hey, John. Oh. What? <laughs> you don't need me to record, right? Nah, you're fine. Okay. How's it going? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I've been having a lot of fun experimenting with uh, streaming and whatnot. Yes, you you showed me um, maybe the most American thing I've ever seen just now, and that <laughs> that was your Twitch stream. Please tell me about what you're up to. I am deeply inspired by some of the Twitch streamers that are hilarious, like Doctor Disrespect uh, specifically, but also I like CD in the Third a whole lot. And they're just really funny guys. And what I've noticed is that um, they, they were good at creating a community and they're good at being funny. And so I was like, you know what? I can play games. I'm somewhat of a goofy person that lacks shame to a, a large enough degree to uh, act like, you know, a little bit of an imbecile. Sure. <laughs> and and just, just have a good time. Make people laugh. Have fun online. And so I'm kind of creating this alter ego um, that's a little bit... Like it's me if if I live in the sticks forever and not just for a short period of time. Yeah. And so I'm trying to sell it as not not to make an overcharacterization of a redneck, but make it more believable. It's just like me as a as a redneck, which isn't really that far. Other than the draw, isn't really that far <laughs> off. <laughs> Reality is what is what's alarming because I already dip. I already drink terrible beer, <laughs> and it's like, oh wow, the only thing missing was the was the draw. You know, it, it's funny. Um, I don't think I realized that we drink horrible beer until I became an adult and met other adults from like other places, like on Facebook, social yeah. media, and you know. Bush comes up and people get upset, and I'm like, "What? You guys don't love that?" <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm drinking right now, Bush Light Limited Edition. <laughs> oh man, that's piss water, and they're ruining you know small crafters and stuff. And I'm like, around here we drink it, and they employ half the half the South, uh, yeah. Southern Illinois, you know. Yeah, and it tastes good. It's it's the way I treat American light beer. Because I, I, I do consider myself somewhat of a beer connoisseur. My favorite brewery is actually French Canadian, and it looks like it says Unibrow. I'm pretty sure that's not how you pronounce it, but you know that's what it really it looks like written down. And they have just some of the best Belgian nails I've ever had on earth. Massive plug for those guys sure. that they'll never hear. And, <laughs> and to be fair, at the same time, when you bring up Schlafly, uh, suddenly everyone has great respect for the uh, St. Louis area. Yes. Yes, you know, and so these guys, they're French-Canadian, and they just make some of the best beers ever. I like that stuff, too, but the way I treat, like, Bud Light, Bush Light, Miller Light, Mick Ultra, it's kind of just like daddy soda, you know? Yeah. Like, that's, it's just, it's it's not particularly strong, it's not going to get you anywhere that you're looking to go, is like, something like a bourbon will. And so, to me, I just it's more like I just got done cutting the grass, I want something tasty, but I don't want a Mountain Dew, boom. <laughs> Yeah, I am uh, drinking a diet A and W cream soda. So, ooh, that is a good diet soda. That is a good diet soda. <laughs> it's at the top of the heap, I'll tell you. I'm a bit of a uh, diet soda connoisseur, and uh, <laughs> again, top of the heap right here. Now, now, not to completely like go off on a weird tangent here, but I'm going to ask you this, man. What? Do you prefer? Do you prefer Diet Coke over Diet Pepsi? Because I have a weird thing where I prefer regular Coke, but I prefer Diet Pepsi. I am exactly the same. I, I don't know if that's really? strange or not, but in this household, we are the same way. We will get Diet Pepsi for the wife. Uh, she doesn't drink a lot of soda in general. When she does, I think she enjoys a Diet Pepsi. And if if I have to pick between Coke or Pepsi, which you know that's not too often, but I, I will go for the Coke every time. Yes, regular Coke is almost unstoppable. I yeah. mean, 
it's just too it's too what do you say quintessential it's too landmark it's too powerful of a soda it's just the king <laughs> yeah and, so but um yeah that's interesting i just wondered because it was like yeah for years it's been like that if i if i if i'm gonna drink a diet cola i reach for a pepsi if i'm gonna drink a regular i reach for the coke something about the diet version of pepsi tastes a whole lot better than the diet version of coke coke diet coke tastes like coke that you just left ice sit in like that's exactly what it tastes like but like fresh out of the can and it's just like very unsettling <laughs> I'm with you. I'm, and that is this week in beverages. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> moving on to relative matters, but just kind of loosening up the gears. Yeah. Um, now I I know you've been playing Brawlhalla. Please tell us. Uh, just just take a minute or two. Let us know how you're enjoying that. Fantastic. I intend to stream it more on my my new stream. I'm going to tweet out. Um, to the dev team i want them to take a look at it i don't feel that there is enough people playing that game when i look at the numbers when i see their twitch views there's only 800 people uh viewing it today and it automatically gets me viewers right off the bat just opening up and i've not had a lot of viewers on twitch i'm still playing with it i haven't even really advertised it on social media but it has been generating some traction just from being there and i think it's from brawlhalla um and so that's kind of cool too. So it ties into a little bit of what's going on in my new social media presence. And anyways, back to focusing on the, the, the game. If you're a fan of super, super smash bros and that style of combat, it is just top notch. I mean, it's about time somebody made a rival to it. I mean, why not? You got a ton of battle Royale games. You got a ton of call of duty, first person shooter spinoffs. Sure. You got a ton of arena shooters. You got big MMOs. You know, why not a Smash Bros. style fighting game that was done well that's not Smash Bros.? And this is it. And it's fantastic. The characters are cool. You can tell they draw inspiration from other games, but they do it in a way that's so tasteful. And then they do neat things where there's like a Minotaur character that I really like, and he's very power focused, power attacks and different things like that. So he's a little slower. You got to learn his pace. Reminds me of playing Donkey Kong on Smash Bros. And, but you yeah. can wreck. You can get a lot of the finishing kills with the, uh, the Minotaur character. But they do cool things like this. They have a skin that you can buy for real money in that game because it's free to play. And mm -hmm. uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. Yeah. But um, it, and there's some skins. You can, I've already given these devs like 30 bucks for their game. I mean, it's just fantastic. It's just they're totally it's totally worth giving them money. Anyways, um, one of the skins for the Minotaur is, um, you know, Bebop and, Rock, Bebop and Rocksteady from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. He looks exactly like Rocksteady. Nice. They did a Rocksteady skin for the Minotaur. So if you <laughs> want to play Rocksteady in a, in a Smash Bros. fighting game, you can. And there's several other characters that have something like that, you know? And do you remember the old knight from the NES game? Um, uh, Dungeon something? Uh, oh, man, it's escaping me. It was, one of the, it was ranked as one of the hardest NES games for a long time. This is going to bug the living crap out of me. I know you've played it. I don't play know. Like, you play like a knight that runs around. There's a skin on one of the characters that looks just like that, man. It's very nostalgic for me. Nice. I'll have to find the name of that. Um, I might Google it here in a minute. I can't Google and talk too well at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but um, the game is awesome. It's got cool competitive mode. The balancing for the competitive is a little bit off because it, all of a sudden it'll dump you. into If you just start kicking some major booty, it'll just dump you into a match where the guy's ELL is like a thousand more than you. <laughs> yeah and and then you're just like Whoa. and then it just wrecks you and then it jumps you back down so like you can't get win streaks it's really weird like i can see that you're on a win streak they want to increase and see if you're going to really jump up in your rank today because you learned your combos or something but man a thousand elo on certain matches it's just insane um so there's a little corks here and there but man it's free to play it's super fun they're doing a good job the skins are cool the move sets are cool they've got different weapons the game focuses a lot on weapons so there's a hand to hand combat there's power attacks and special moves you can do controllers a must there's no way I would play a mouse and keyboard i think they compete like that but it blows my mind i digress from that uh the, the controller's a must for me. It's got great, smooth, quick combo feels. If you, you know, like, remember the good old days when you had to roll across, like, A and B to pull off a Mortal Kombat combo on a on a Sega controller? Oh, yeah. It's got that. We have to roll from A to X. Or you have to roll from 
B to A. You know, it's just it's just awesome, man. Combined with different directions, like down and then A roll to X real fast, and and so like down X A roll to X, and you'll knock the guy in the air and do like a quick air attack combo for like three or four hits, and doing like thirty percent of their damage or whatever. Yeah, it's tight. It's tight, dude. And there's massive combo strings. And then the weapons are the same way. And so there's different weapon types. And what's really, really, really super cool is with these different weapon types. Let me establish establish that real quick because you're going to love this. This is one of the coolest things I've seen in a game. I'm overhyping. It's going to disappoint you. Here we go. <laughs> All right. You got hammer guys. Some of my favorite are the hammer classes. Some of my favorite are the axe classes and different things like that. And so they have different characters that are built around a guy that uses an axe. And they have different characters that are built around a guy that uses a hammer spear or fighting fists or pistols you get the picture sure when you buy these these elite skins like the rock steady one for the minotaur and he has special weapons that go with the skin well any of the axe characters now can use the fire axe from rock steady in their loadout if you just want that visual so i can have a knight in shining armor you know, looking all holy like a crusader. That's one of the characters. And then he can have, like, a stop sign as a, as a weapon. <laughs> I do one like of that. the other skins. Yeah. So the, the all the unique weapons they make and, and items they make for your character on that becomes unlockable to any of them that are applicable. Any of the other characters that are applicable. Neat. It's super cool, man. It's well done. It's fast. It gets you in matches quick. Like, if you crunch for time and you just want a short adrenaline rush, Brawlhalla. Yeah. Tweet this to him, tag him in it. <laughs> yeah, we will let him know we talked about the game. Uh, you you told me you put it on my radar last week already. I downloaded it myself and never got to try it because I'm just I'm really sort of slammed with work right now and probably for about another week. Plus, Call of Duty World War II dropped today. Uh, I I own the game. I wanted to play a little bit and sort of um, bring my first impressions with me tonight. And I think the download is at like 3% since about 2 p.m. <laughs> oh, I, I think their servers are getting pelted pretty good. I I wasn't able to find a lot of other people saying like, yes, I'm having trouble with this download, but I am definitely having a hard time getting that on the hard drive. So some point before next week, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, I, I can play a game or two of Call of Duty for the first time in some time, really. Wow. What was funny, you mentioned uh, the button rolls, like the A to B and the A to X and all that stuff. You can still do that now in, um, where did I start doing that? Both uh, Forza to do like the clutch and shift up or the clutch and shift down, all that stuff. And uh, Dirt Rally. The yes. there, There's a special control configuration. If you start getting kind of serious, you find yourself doing that just like the old days, which I was entertained by. You know, I'm glad you brought up dirt. I need to rekindle my relationship with her. Um, <laughs> I, I, when I got decent at the game at 60 frames a second, and when I moved up and upgraded the system and moved to the 144 hertz, the input response on the controller is entirely different. In that game, I got to relearn how to play dirt. It, it legitimately feels like it, I just got it again. <laughs> All I can think about is trying it in virtual reality. I want to do that oh, so bad. I, <laughs> you may never hear from me. If this podcast falls off the face of the earth, guys, you should probably look at my Steam and see that I'm currently playing virtual reality dirt. <laughs> Quarter of a million hours, yeah. Yes, I would just live there. It would be incredible. <laughs> just You're just not even racing. You're just sitting sitting in the car looking around. <laughs> looking at the co-driver. <laughs> yeah, the co-driver and the people behind the fence and all that stuff. Oh, that'd be incredible. You know what, man? This is just totally weird, random concept. I'm in a goofy mood. It's the weekend. I'm, I'm flying high off of the adrenaline from streaming. Sure. Wouldn't it be cool if a game like GTA would do, like, select VR features? That would be neat. Like, if it's available in the car or something. That'd be oh, tight. I don't know if we're ready. Just just the car, let's say. That'd be tight. <laughs> yeah, I would Anyways, like that. Because um, then you get to drive all those ridiculous... Well, never mind. You got Forza, right? Isn't that VR? I don't think you can do Forza VR yet. Okay, because I want to drive like a supercar in VR. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the dirt rally cars. They're pretty epic, too. But, man, could you imagine getting behind... That's the closest you get behind the wheel of a Ferrari FXX or something, you know? And, I mean, for sure, we're headed that direction. Um, if you've ever tried Google Cardboard, there's already some cool 
like real life stuff you can do uh, it, to show off like luxury vehicles and stuff. It, it's it's a really cool feature. You don't really control it, but you're sort of along for the ride from the driver's seat. They're, wow. doing, they're doing very cool stuff with that. And that's only going to continue. Wow, but that's awesome. I've heard a lot of people in the last week, and your, your buddy Paul was one of them. There are a lot of people who sort of know what they're talking about, saying, uh, you know, virtual reality is not going to take the world by storm. It's not going to reach this market saturation everybody's expecting. Uh, I was kind of surprised by that because I thought, like, yeah, of course we'll you know, uh, adopt this and, and this will take off and we'll all have a headset soon and everybody will, this is just how we're going to game and uh, relate to one another in the world and people don't really feel that way. I think, I think it's scary. I really do. I mean, this is not what we intended to talk about tonight, but I'm glad it happened. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's scary, man, because I'm not going to lie to you. It kind of scares me a little bit about what are the, what are the psychological effects it's going to have on people that are um, incapable of handling that level of stimulation. You know what I mean? It is because, a big change, yeah. Because people can hardly handle, some people I know can hardly handle the stimulation of the first-person shooter now on the hunter. Overwatch. <laughs> yeah. And, like, what's it going to do when it's surrounding you and engulfing you? And then, you know, it's just, wow. It's going to be really intense. And I think some people are just concerned um, about the shift maybe subconsciously that's the only thing i can think of being hesitant about it i'm excited about it but i don't want there to be this era of gaming where we we see this advancement towards that and then have to live through a bunch of crappy versions of virtual reality well i guess you don't have to buy into the technology that's the easy answer it it is interesting that maybe sort of an underlying unease is maybe impacting some of the opinions out there um I think that's maybe true for some people and other people just don't, don't think the technology is good enough yet, which I could probably understand. I, like I said, I haven't done a lot of this stuff yet, but, um, I guess, I guess if you think about it, we were born at a time where we've already lived through a couple of sort of rocky wild wests, uh, commercial internet, you know, we, we yeah. all came through the Napster era and the, the AOL chats and stuff we've joked about offline and things we'd never admit to in person. Like, we've, we've all been through weird stuff already just with the dawn of, like, the actual internet. Virtual reality is um, almost universally panned by science fiction stories and uh, movies of all kinds. It's like, hey, you know, we're going to get hooked into this and either it's going to be so real and so all-encompassing that people are never going to want to leave it or it's going to have this weird effect on our brains and you know our brains are going to be broken it's never like this is going to help us all learn much faster and we're going to take giant strides toward <laughs> curing cancer and you know quantum this and that it, it's always yeah. like this is going to make you crazy and make you kill animals <laughs> yeah 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 i totally understand where you're coming from there it's it's tough that's a tough thing to combat is that some people try to demonize technology yeah and i i think to be fair to them it's it just stems from sort of a wariness of like i said that we were in on the first you know the big push of video games and the and the internet and it just goes on and on like mobile phones in everyone's pocket that are super capable and you know we're starting to look at augmented reality and people are like no you can't do that like that thing will help predators search for faces and stuff and and all these horrifying things we we're just at the at the breaking edge of way too much stuff and it is it's very tiring sometimes you know yeah but but again the the core to this issue and this is something i really wish society would be able to train itself to do is the core to the issues and the concerns of this are the condition of men and women's hearts technology and advancements and in that way becomes scary because of us. So well, who are we pointing the finger at here? It's, it's not the tech, your VR headset, your VR games, your VR communities aren't going to be the thing that's going to be destructive. It, it's real easy to agree with that because look at, look at so many of the problems we have now. It's like Facebook. Well, now everyone's just in each other's heads. And as it turns out, 
a lot of people we know, turns out maybe they weren't necessarily as good a person as we thought. <laughs> and now we're exposed to that. And I, I had no idea, you know, that you didn't think uh, women should be allowed to vote. Or just, I mean, that's a random, ridiculous example. But like, or that. Well, you know, it's fine that you're being that hyperbolic because it's just like, that's how that's how comical it is to me now. That's why I'm completely disengaged, and now I'm trying to rebirth myself like a phoenix. I'm gonna rise from those ashes. An offline phoenix. Yes, and I'm getting back in the game. But um, yeah, it's because it's just like that's why I don't mind caricaturizing myself uh, to gain Twitch followers because it's just like everyone seems like a giant cartoon character, including myself, to me, anyways. I was just now, thinking that. I thought, is it really that that drastic that he's sort of creating this character? Because who isn't doing that right now? I mean, you, you talk right? to people offline and politics come up and they're a totally different creature when they're in your living room. It's nobody, you know, nobody's saying the same stuff. No one uh, really wants to go outside and punch a person because of what they think. Or, you know, no, yeah. nobody would stand in your living room and go like, I think that guy should go back to his own country. Or any, you never hear that stuff in person. I don't, you know. I do, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, uh, I, I don't even. <laughs> it's There's a unique world out there, man. And it's still, though, the, the people aren't acting on it. And that's and that's the thing, too, man. The, I don't know. We can keep rambling about that. I, I just have so much to say. So much to say about all of that. And I don't know if I have the energy to engage. <laughs> I, I understand. And I, I think some of this stuff will come up naturally as you uh, continue down the Twitch path and uh, sort of reinventing your online presence. I, I think yes. things will naturally present themselves, which I will happily discuss because this is all very interesting to me. Um, I've, I've done quite a bit of work on the Internet, marketing of different types and community community management for very small things and it, it it's fascinating work because it's about people and that makes it more interesting to me than say advertising using keywords and bidding on <laughs> cost yes. per click and stuff that makes me want to drill into my brain yes yeah and you know and that's kind of and that's kind of what um, part of what you're saying is is interested in the in the person component the the personal component of all of it is another reason why I'm excited to do this because it's so much about that is what I'm noticing, you know, to, to have your Twitch fame and, and stuff like that. It's just, these guys are, are creating community. They're creating a brand. They're treating it like a business. They have a schedule for when they, when they cast, um, they create a brand, they create a community where these were kids and, and, um, young adults feel like they have like a team that they're on and stuff like that. And if you get those right formulas in the right times and the right games and the right stride, and it just seems like the sky's the limit. Um, and it's just an exciting thing right now. It's, it's true. Um, I just got back into, I helped some friends launch a YouTube channel some time ago and it primarily focused on, at first it was Halo. And then when Overwatch came out, it shifted that direction and there have been some other things, like when uh, Modern Warfare Remastered came out, that was a big push for a while. Sort of the the game development projects pulled me away from all this, so I didn't get to do as much of it. But I just went back with those guys, played some Halo, recorded myself for like two hours at a stretch, and I edited everything down to like 15 minutes of highlights and supporting the team was my big theme and everything. And I put it up on the channel for the first time in, in quite a while. And they're, they're up to almost 200 subscribers, something like that, which is good. And I'm noticing that people are responding to it now. Now it's like, oh man, this was a great video. And like the group chat made me laugh and stuff. And, and the actual connection element of that, now it's YouTube. So probably in the time we spend recording this, some, some dude will call my mom a whore or whatever. <laughs> but... In the meantime, like you, you do this and it's part of the community and, and getting back out there and really connecting with people over this stuff. I'm talking about that sort of thing all the time, but that really you, you get something back, whereas otherwise it's just sort of a time wasting activity. So, yeah, I, yeah, like a thankless job. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so you can you can shift your tech from a thankless job to in your love for tech and geekdom and everything like that to putting it into the spotlight, if you wish. And um, that's where the game development and that's where streamers and a combination of the two things start to become 
a very unique and powerful and awesome opportunity for not only the consumer and the content creator, but just, you know, that interaction between both groups creating that community. It's, it's cool, man. It's cool because it's like when you sit down and really think about what you're doing, you're going to create entertainment and connect with um, the, the younger generation and giving them something to look at and laugh at and, and every now and then drop them, drop them some good, some good stuff. You know, you could do that in character, let's say, you know, and give them something different to absorb and look at in this world. If that makes sense, you know? Right. Um, one of the best examples of that, probably in all of history is when Adam Carolla talks about when he used to explain Loveline, when he would do the radio show with Dr. Drew and they, they said, what, what, why do you guys do it like this? And he said, you know, if, if you're, if you take your dog to the vet and the vet says, uh, you know, your dog has heartworms and has to take this medicine, uh, once a week or, or he's, he's going to be sick. Uh, you can try all day to get your dog to eat a pill and he's, he's not going to want to do it. But if, if you mash it into some hamburger, some stuff he likes, some stuff he's interested in, uh, you're going to get that medicine down every time and he's going to ask you for more of it. And mixing entertainment with, uh, content of, of value, uh, some greater value than just making you laugh. I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about. You know, it's, it's entertainment that leaves you with something, uh, it, it sure beats just like, oh, I played Halo for four hours and we, we streamed it and, you know. Right? See, that's what I was... <laughs> Twerked between uh, kills. Yeah, right. And see, that's one of the things that people go, oh, you're, you're jumping into an oversaturated market, yada, yada. Yeah, I hear a lot of that from naysayers and stuff like that. My point to that is that you, you if you approach this the right way and look at the formula for success that is exists right now by looking at somebody like Dr. Disrespect, and you see what he did, you can be like, wow, this can be duplicated. I mean, um, I have a bunch of ideas that I've just refused to talk about on a, on a public platform because I know people are going to steal them. And, uh, <laughs> um, and and this is a really exciting, neat thing to see. And, and um, it becomes less about a guy playing a game and more about this community and this character. And then that's that's the thing that's really happening. The game... Is just kind of the, I don't know. It's like part of the unifier. It's an important part of it because yeah. you're all in a pastime. But really, the important thing is is that entertainment element of the person hosting it. Right. This is true of streamers and YouTubers and game developers. Like there, there's a common thread here, which is why I'm always happy to discuss and sort of branch out into these things. Is it saturated? Yes. It, you are dropping little droplets into a big giant ocean. However, you know, if if you go bury treasure, if you sink treasure in the ocean, people are still going to go look for it. it it's 100% yes. about the actual thing itself. And if it's worth finding, now if it's if it's mediocre or if it's just bad, yeah, it's it's never going to be heard from again. It's just going to be an old dirty boot out in the Atlantic. But if yeah. it sinks, you know, a, a box full of gold... Somebody's going to put on their suit and they're going to go out after it and everyone's going to be interested in that. Well, you know, that's still worth doing, right? Exactly. And that's a really, really good way to put all of that. And that's exactly worth doing, you know. It's cool, man. It's cool. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time for a different type of entrepreneur. Right. Um, we're seeing where, where you, you are actually becoming the commodity. And um, it's interesting, man. It's really interesting, and the internet has has given the power back to the little man in a lot of ways, but in a way that I think creates a good synergy um, between the the larger money groups and the little man, if that even makes sense too. Sure, and and I think that's probably our our big segue into our uh, sort of core content for the show. I would say is that there's there's always been this history in uh, the game industry of actual, like almost the concept of rock stars. And, and I've talked before about the story of um, Robin Williams when he was having dinner with um, Sid Meier's boss at, I think it was Microprose. And, and he, they were explaining what, what Sid did with his game development to Robin Williams. And, and he was real into like NBA and the, 
the finals at the time and he goes, you know, why, why don't you guys have the concept of like stars in this industry? Like they do in basketball, like, you know, Michael Jordan's name is all over everything. Why don't you guys do that in, in game development? And Sid Meier's boss goes, you know what? You're exactly right. We're going to start putting Sid Meier's name on stuff and they still do it today. Like yeah. that's an industry that's always had a concept of like rock star individuals. And we're sort of going to talk about that because we're talking about, um, you could call it financing, but really it's it's financing your game, financing your studio. Basically, it's just different means of making your games happen. And a lot of that falls on the individual and how they want to go about it and what content they're actually bringing. And we're just sort of going to talk about, at high level, different ways to finance studios, different, different business models people have approached. And um, I, I think that's going to be a, a fun topic. And, and we've wanted to sort of get back into the actual game industry and the creation process and, and things that people could use and not strictly talk about just, you know, game industry news and rumors and stuff week after week. I love doing that stuff and we will certainly interrupt that as guests come up. But I, I do also want to get back into things that um, new game developers and, you know, middling game developers can, can use and sink their teeth into and hopefully reach out and chat with us about. Yes, I'm into it. And so that would one of the things that we discussed was, and that's why um, um, you so perfectly brought up Brawlhalla was the fact that I harped on it being free to play, and right. how I thought that it was a good model, depending on the project. Right, exactly. That it's a fascinating way to do business because it it has as much potential for good as it does bad. Yes. You know, for every Brawlhalla, there are fifteen candy crushes. <laughs> <laughs> And I I don't know if that's a fair example because uh, Candy Crush is made by a big company and people still sort of manage to have fun with it. I just found the the means of monetizing that game so nauseating, I I couldn't keep it on my phone. Our our buddy Chris has played it for years and he's up to to like level 4,000, you know. (laughs) But I can't deal with the fact that like every so many levels either have to stop for the day like invite a friend from Facebook or there's like a trick where you can put it in airplane mode and convince your phone. It's like 1891 and, and log back in and play an extra couple of turns. Like that is gaming at its worst. Totally, totally, totally. But if you get a, a, a nice Brawlhalla game, which is apparently recreating the Smash Bros experience like very well and giving people options if they if they don't want to jump straight into Smash Bros and get their butts kicked by people who have been playing that game for 15 years. Um, yes. Now there's this new game you can get into. The learning curve is apparently not too bad. And if you want to, you can throw the developers a few bucks and, and buy some skins and stuff like that, which it seems like you've been happy to do because you're playing a, a complete, full, good game. Yes, it's finished. It's not early access. It's smooth. It's responsive. It's fun. It's good. It's just the appealing, the sounds. It works, man. And it's just like, wow, when you come across something like that, it's free to play. You're getting my money. And are, are they a, a known studio or are they kind of newcomers? Let me tell you who they are because the community said they really liked this dev and I'd never heard of them before. So I kind of felt bad. <laughs> you, you might know though, because you're more on the, on the back end of the I'm more of the consumer here, which is why we have a decent balance. I spend my entire, sometimes my entire day network networking with different game studios and game developers, and I don't know. Again, it's it's another ocean to navigate, and it's I just know so few of them in the grand scheme of things. I, I believe it. Um, there's just so many. Blue Mammoth Games. That does sound familiar, though. The, the, according to the internet, the community has a soft spot for these guys. They like them a lot. That's that's nice and that's rare. <laughs> yes, um, you know I'm curious to know what else they've developed, but it looks like it's just Brawlhalla. Great. I mean that's that's a step in the right direction. I I've never done a free to play project. Um, I think I could in the right circumstances. I wouldn't really even have an issue with making just like an ad based game for like mobile phones. We've you know you yeah. and I have been people don't know this. You and I have been talking about ways we can get you involved in uh, game development and work together yes. on something. And I mean, just to be real, like this is, this is 
business and this is how it has to be done, like we would probably look to start with a small project that could Absolutely. be uh, paid for probably by ads, you know, or, yeah. or, you know, make it a dollar, you know, <laughs> whatever we want to do. I, I tried that with my first commercial game. It did not go well. Um, okay. So, so I, I feel like if I had, well, I made a game for kids, so you can't really put ads in that. But if we made something for like teenagers and it's a physics based, you know, throw the uh, um, monkey poop at the zookeeper wall or whatever, like that's just yeah. a, an idea to run with. <laughs> yeah. Stolen. It's already in development right now. And we haven't even broadcasted this. Exactly. Yeah. Cancel the cast. I say this every week, like cancel it. The, the ideas are too good. Like we would look to do a game like that. And then while that's starting to make revenue just slowly trickle in, or in the case of Flappy Bird, make us billionaires immediately. Yes. <laughs> uh, we would work on bigger stuff, which we wouldn't have to treat that way. You know, like, oh, exactly. while we did that, we made this game that plays more like Rocket League. And now we're going to ask for $10 for this. It's going to go on Steam Direct, and uh, we'll see how it plays. Right, yeah, and it's fine. It's, it's, it's a totally fine model because it's just like, hey, you know, it makes sense to me if you want to get your foot in the door, um, make that kind of a game. The mobile's a great route for a, you know a small group, one person, two people, and um, go ahead and put the ads in there in a tasteful as tasteful way as you possibly can. Right. And then leave it as free to play. And if people like the core gameplay, and you're not you're not so obnoxious that you've sold your your game out so hard to the to the ads. Because I've played some that respect you with the ads, and you go, okay, their revenue's smaller than this guy that has it to where you're like, which part's the game, which part's the ad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's where you start to fail at that. Don't get too greedy. Hogs get fat. Or, I'm sorry. Pigs get fat. Hogs get slaughtered. That's oh. the right thing to say. <laughs> Got and a that, little knowledge. A CPA said that to me, and it stuck with me. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're supposed to keep those those things in mind when they say those things. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I will say maybe the worst example, um, Candy Crush didn't even go this far. Sega, <laughs> I hate to say it, they probably put out the worst example of this sort of uh, model I've ever seen. And that was, I think it's Sonic Dash. The game was like four bucks to buy. Uh, it's an endless runner, and there's nothing especially compelling about it. It's 3D, but big whoop. So you pay $4 for this endless runner game. It's also got the in-app purchases, so like almost all the progress is based on whether or not you're willing to buy uh, gems or little snickerdoodles or whatever the hell. <laughs> and then on top of that, it's full of ads. And it's yeah. like what the hell just happened to my phone? Like, I didn't know... I'm a game developer. I didn't know you were allowed to do something like this. Like, yeah, we have this pretty steep entry point for this game that's... There's not much to it. And we're going to beg for money beyond the purchase price. And then we're going to advertise to you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and there's just tons of... My mom even played it, you know? And they've made a sequel to it since then. And I'm sure it's no better. Uh, yeah, I believe it. Cause, because nobody, nobody called them out hard enough for it. You know, they weren't punished for it. Why would they change? Yeah. And, and when I got into um, picking up client work for my studio, the number of people who came to me about making games like that was sickening. And, and these are not people who are enthusiastic about games. They look at it as an investment and, and they're right to do so because it's it's a total cash cow. It's just disgusting how it works. And these, yeah. these people who are like, you know, well, I'm an accountant, but I would like to do this and uh, maybe show it to some of my clients and stuff. And like, I don't want to no, that That's absurd. And, and worst of all, they want to give me like a lump sum to do this thing. That's going to make them untold amounts of money for the rest of time. I have turned yeah. down absolutely every inquiry about anything like that, because that's, I'm sorry. That's too gross to me. Like it's one thing if I want to do some small version of it for the studio and go like, yes, every fourth time you play the game, you will see like a 10 second advertisement. Okay, fine. This has to pay for itself. But like this, this yes. horrible, like we want you to rip off world of tanks and we want ads every five seconds. And, and, uh, each, each shot out of the tank costs a dollar 99. Nope. More, more than real ammunition almost. <laughs> right. But, uh, 
so I, I think maybe the the biggest barrier of entry for a new studio is how to get started. Yeah. So, like we just said, you you have to have that initial project or at least a plan that's going to fund the next thing. It's sort it's sort of the biggest thing for a new studio is like sort of the second project. So. Yeah. Yeah. One way people have skipped that is the crowdfunding thing, obviously. Kickstarter and, you know. There's a, there's, and I'm not going to venture far from that and come right back to that, but I wanted to make an interesting point to you since I'm also a consumer of the, the music type. The second album for a lot of bands ends up being my favorite, too. It's interesting that you said the sophomore release for a studio tends to be the most important, and that's an interesting theme that I see um, hmm. that's but anyways, what's funny is um, lately I've been noticing the second albums have been really disappointing me lately. Um, one one example was Royal Blood. I I sort of got turned on to them when we went to go see the Foo Fighters recently. Not recently, it was like last year. But I I got super into their album and I thought it was great. They had this great sound for like a two man band, you know. And their second album came out and it was like whatever that fire was they had that just went out. And and I'm starting to notice this with different bands I like, so we're having very different experiences there. Um, I I listen to a lot of stuff that's a little more dated, uh, to be honest with you, um, because the newer music, I have noticed the same trend. To be fair, and not to take this conversation too far in that direction, so uh, I want to keep this short, keep them passionate about what we're talking about with game studios. Is that you you get a certain group of people that want to direct project and so the the this is when this is when the big money can sometimes hurt you and they come in and they say okay we like what you guys have established um our formula says this and now while sometimes you need to heed to that and really consider what you know the leaders in the industry are telling you you also in as many ways need to understand that the very unique thing that kind of broke away that part of you that broke away from that norm needs to remain intact i mean that that's part of what was so cool about your flavor and your zest you know what i'm saying you see what i'm getting at you know sure so like if somebody made an awesome unique first person shooter with a good core gameplay loop and it was so addictive and so fun it was just a few levels and small dev then and then a big company came up and said hey you know let's 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 have you guys come on to our studio let's do this game but let's change it like this and then you're like whoa this, this is different now. Yeah, I don't know what I've done. <laughs> you know, you know, and so that that kind of a danger exists too. And I think that's when, as a developer, you have to really, you have to really be with with any content creator. I mean, this this goes to Twitch streamers, musicians, anybody. You you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to stand your ground on certain things, and you got to know when to back down from the sweet deal that's right in front of you um, and be like, no, you know what? I am confident enough in my project. I am confident enough in my vision that, okay, I may not be able to exact it with a, in to the sparkly degree that, um, I don't know, I'll just throw out a name, EA money would get me, but I'm confident enough that I want to establish my thing. And, if you've got the right formula down, you'll, you'll do just fine. Just like kind of the conclusion I came to with the Twitch streaming. And so what I mean by that is what it seems to be essential to me is I catch myself as a gamer um, playing games of all varieties. I'm, I'm, I'm an actual gamer. And that's something I'm coming to grips with lately too because I'll play the silly mobile game, the tower defense game with the ads on it. But then I'll play something as complex as, you know, something like Fallout, multi-layers to the game, big storyline, everything like that. I don't want my time to that. But the, the core, the common thread that I see is that if you nail the basic gameplay right, no matter how simple it is, if you nail the physics, if you nail the sprites, if the animations are just locked tight, no matter how simple or complex it is, you can make that so addictive and so fun yeah, for that sure. any gamer will enjoy it, you know? Yeah. And you you brought up knowing when to stick with it and when to give it up. That made me think of something else our buddy Paul brought up last week. Uh, the developers of the, the Torque engine that he ended up using to uh, 
start development on BitShifter, and I believe it still runs on that engine today. Um, I thought that was an interesting example, but I don't, and I don't know what he would say about this in in that light. But I think the developers of the Torque engine, I think maybe they got it wrong. Um, their story started because they created a game with this engine, had a terrible relationship with their publisher, and said. Uh, we're proud of ourselves, we're confident in ourselves, and we're going to tell them to go fuck themselves, and we're, we're going to go package this engine, sell it to people, and the truth is, it had a rocky start, it had a rocky middle, it's had a rocky end, uh, you know, it's it's no longer a competitor, It I don't think it's making a lot of money, like, some of these decisions are so difficult to make, <laughs> it it should be intimidating to people really if it's if it's not um man these these are some of the toughest business de- decisions i i think you could find um it is outside it of is. something like the medical field you know yeah. oh yeah 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 um you know i think that i think the core yeah i overuse that word man i need to quit saying it uh <laughs> i think i think the thing that you need to keep yourself focused on and this is something i'm just been practicing on my life in general this is just some basic life knowledge here that same critical lens that you would use to analyze another person let's say um use that use that same lens on you and it hurts and it burns and it's but it's like repairing anything on your body if you want the wound the 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 gash to heal you have to spend some time repairing that wound and it's painful or a better analogy would be growing pains you remember your legs would hurt when you're a kid sure when you when you analyze yourself like that and really analyze yourself under that same critical lens you would somebody that you're having a disagreement with you and see your faults and let them hurt and then try to fix them i think you need to really be able to do that with your craft so the way i'm imagining this fleshing out in my head is if you came up with a game engine you're like well you know this is kind of kind of shitty but if if well it's okay because i know how to navigate my engine you do this but you have to really take a step back if you're running into something like that with your product your software or your game you're gonna be like is the average user when hitting with this frustration gonna take time to try to figure out the solution that you have as the developer probably not so as dear and near as this is to you maybe you should think about revamping it you know yeah and, and that's something I think people need to really ingest and be like, at the end of the day, you are, this is something I've been going through with my art, my music, that I'm, that I'm going to change my band sound a little bit on the third album, because it's just like, uh, I got it, you have to make this something for other people. I am not going to be the only consumer of my product. I mean, I can't really technically be because I'm the creator, so that's a thing you got to really keep in mind here. You've got to make this accessible and appealing no matter what it is to other people. And this goes back to uh, the direction we started to head with crowdfunding. Like it's, it's a viable option for a couple of reasons and, and no, there, there has been no bigger opponent of this than myself, but um, something I've had to acknowledge over time is that, um, studios that want to start with crowdfunding, it's a big risk for everyone involved because uh, it will absolutely decimate your reputation before you even get out of the gate. And it's obviously yes. a big risk for customers who may or may not see uh, any product ever from from backing you ahead of time. However, um, it, it is a good way to get a following. And it's a, a very good way to get a sense right away of what people actually think about what you're doing. And that may be before or after they get their hands on it. If, if your project never even gets funded, I, I talk to people all the time who, who are like, you know, my, my Kickstarter and this is for games and comics and music and all sorts of stuff, but well, my project didn't get funded. And so we're trying to look at ways to get it done anyway. And I almost never hear anybody go, uh, you know, Maybe, maybe people don't want this, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's brutal and it's unpleasant, but is, is it worse than putting yourself through the pain of, of doing the thing and finding out that still no one wants it, you know? I mean, that's a, that's a very valid point. And so I think when maybe that would become critical step for a dev to take is like, 
let's just role play as us. I, I, you know, I get better at the craft. We make something. Maybe the second game, you go for that crowd crowdfunding. Maybe the third game, you go for that crowdfunding. You know, when you have at least somewhat of a track record, and then by your by the end of your first game or the end of your second game, you kind of got an idea of the expectations that you that you. You know, uh, that's the wrong thing to say. What your capabilities of and how you can achieve the expectations for your project. Because what I'm seeing is is that um, some of the biggest crowdfunding things that it just makes my head spin are they're like no name guys. I mean, I'm not trying to bash them, but at the same time, it's like who are you? And now you have millions of dollars, and I've only ever seen concept trailers. Right. And it's like, do you even know how to do this? I don't know that. I haven't seen anything from you to know that, hey, this is the next step, you know? Exactly. And and those are all the magic questions that emerge when you see some of these. Uh, maybe not as much anymore. I, I feel like some of this has been cracked down on. But, like, when I when I was more active with the St. Louis co-op for game development, I, I could show you a thread that showed up on the Facebook page of like this guy who, I mean, almost anybody can join this thing. It doesn't require much, but uh, we heard from a guy who was like, Hey, here's my Kickstarter campaign. Would really appreciate you guys checking it out and share with your friends and consider donating to it. So, you know, trying to be the encouraging people that we are, some of us checked it out and it was like, it, it was like the time when I was 12 and I was hanging out with my friends who were 12 and we were like, wouldn't it be cool to make a video game? And we're talking like notebook drawings and, and concepts like we oh, could yeah. we could make a game just like Halo and it would take about four months <laughs> and uh, it, would, uh, it would be on, on Xbox and PC and PlayStation 4 and it would it'd be a top seller on Steam and all we need is and, and they go into all this high concept stuff about like you know, it's it's also going to be cross-platform. Like, we don't mind being the ones that bridge the cross-platform, you know, uh, hurdles. Yeah, yeah. And and it's going to be, we're going to do this stuff that's never been done before. And at some point, people have started kind of trying to j- politely jump in, which, of course, the person didn't take well, <laughs> and say stuff like, um, <clears throat> if, if you don't really even have as much as, a, like, a Hello World program that you've successfully completed, um, what... What makes you think you could ever accomplish this? Yeah. You know, just with respect, you know, with all due respect, like, y- there's no reason to think you're capable of any of this. Yeah. And uh, that's almost as nice as you can put it. And there, there's no better way to, to make someone implode than to sort of poke a little hole in, in that thing they've puffed up in their brain. Like, this is definitely going to be my future. Um why do you think that? I I don't know. I, I guess it's um, I guess it's some kind of inflated, distorted version of reality that, that that you know that's what you get from sitting in a bubble, and then like you just so like you exactly like you just put so well. It's just like they come along and they kind of just kind of poke a hole in that and be like you know hey what's going on in here? Yeah, and- <laughs> it's like your bubble's <laughs> leaking onto us. What's going on in there? Yeah, it, and now now something I think we've we've sort of landed on a good formula for looking at these business models, and that is to look at maybe the worst possible use of it and the best possible use. I think the best possible use I've seen of the crowdfunding stuff, uh, obviously not Star Citizen, but um, huh. <laughs> when I was um, out in California talking to the guys from Obsidian, who, you know, that that's a studio that basically branched off from um sort of a shattered relationship with a publisher not too unlike the the torque engine story but they went like we make games and we're going to make more games and they of course do client work and they they landed publisher deals but also more recently with the uh, pillars of eternity series they sort of sat around and went wouldn't it be fun if we could do like an old school rpg like the stuff we were first known for and the things that people really reached out to us about and loved, um, you know, what if we could do some of that? And their CEO basically said, well, I would love that, but no publisher is going to let us do that. And so the the answer came back, like, maybe maybe the fans will help us do it. So they went ahead and did a Kickstarter. Even being the established studio that they are, they basically said, here's our idea. And, I mean, they, they whipped up good stuff for the actual... Um, 
introductory like videos and and campaign introductions and stuff but they said you know hey this this is sort of going to be up to you guys like if you guys would like to see a series based on the old school stuff that publishers probably wouldn't let us do um let us know you know drop your your donation into the bucket or whatever and if we hit our goal we will make this and we'll ride off together in the sunset and it was funded like it was funded well and they went and did this and and that actually turned a publisher's attention to them towards the end of development who said we see what you're doing you're you guys are the best at this and the fans have voiced their approval and we will help you do this and they ended up getting a publisher at the end of the project to help them pull it across the finish line i i think that's the best kickstarter story i've heard yeah that is inspiring yeah it's like that that almost maybe turned the corner on it altogether like i said it's it turned out to be a pretty good um uh following builder you know it's an it's an audience building activity as much as it is actual funding but man it's it's hard to beat that in terms of execution of the actual activity yes it just all happened the right way you know you have a you have an established dev team that they know the fans know they can trust they reach out to them hey we'll fund it and then you know it's just like a cinderella story it just happened so well and then you got a publisher stepping in right at the right time for the project and it's just like that's a cool story but you know the 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 main thing there is that established hey we you you can get this work done that's the thing that I just see shining through on this is that Obsidian is going to get this done. Right. And that's the thing you could bank on. And that's what's missing from a lot of that crowdfunding. And I think that's, I think that's something that really needs to be taken into um, consideration when, when people are allowing this, this crowd, uh, crowdfunding to exist to the degree that it exists. I don't know what to say. I would hate to suggest policing of it in some way because I just don't want to see that. But at the same time, I mean, you got these no name devs and they're raking in millions of dollars and we're getting concept trailers endlessly. And it's like, you're starting to question, is this the money making process? Is it just the hopes of development? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. the story of development. And that there is actually no intention for having a product, uh, a product at the end, you know, you, you get to wondering about some of these things. And it's so funny because these guys will happily ask for <laughs> half a million dollars to, <laughs> and, and it's not incredibly clear where all the money is going. But like, at the same time, I have I have game prototypes that are pretty mature, like games that are maybe half, three quarters done. And I could probably get a, a good, like, game up on Steam within <laughs> well under a year. I would say six months to, to really flesh something out, really polish it up. And I think all I would probably ask a Kickstarter crowd for would be, like, just just pay me a small living wage for the, that time. And it would not I... look anything like that. And they'd probably do it, and I would feel way too terrible asking anyone for a dollar to that effect that's probably a little extreme that's just where i'm at it's, it just stuns me that people are like yeah we're, we're asking for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to do this whatever man no i mean did you look at the apocalypse now game that i shared with you yeah yeah i did that's that story is unbelievable and i don't even know what to think about that and something so obscure and is Apocalypse Now? It's like... That's an uh, especially weird story. <laughs> right? And it's just... In, 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 and you look at that from the outside and you're like, whoa, this is bizarre. Um, you know, when it comes to asking for, for crowdfunding, I don't think I would do it for my first project. Um, no. For me being, a, a, you know, basically going to take a stab at game development. Um I wouldn't do that. I would I would go, I think the good thing would be is the mobile market. It's been proven to us that if you have a very, even if it's a very short loop, you know, like sometimes it's, think of it as a GIF. You got a high quality GIF and it's just absolutely hilarious and you use it in every group chat <laughs> and it kills for like a month. You know, that is to me what a mobile game can be. It's just a loop. It's like a nice GIF on a loop. 
but if it's just fun and it, and it makes you laugh, uh, especially, and here comes that entertainment stuff we talk about again with Twitch. Yeah. And, and, and the game becomes larger than life because of the sprites and the animations are larger than life. Um, it, but, but you just have a simple physics-based game. If it works well, looks good, sounds good, boom, man. It, it just, to me, seems like... Um, and then if you, with this meme culture, if you hit a meme on it, too... Oh my gosh! <laughs> exactly. I mean, and then after you established yourself as okay, these guys made a super fun, addictive mobile game. Um, these are the people that they decided to associate themselves with. Now they have a crowdfunded game where they want to do um, a roguelike 2D RPG with these old school elements involved in it. OMG, let's let's fund that. And then you know you can finish that. You've got the funds that if it completely backfires, you go, well, we'll hire these guys to finish it. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean. you got a safety net there. But something about, something about having that first title under your belt that you did solo so you understand all of the steps. Because releasing my first album for international distribution was a humongous eye-opener to so many things that you could never adequately explain to me or any person getting ready to do that by themselves and you know that same feeling from dealing with the game all of a sudden when you have to start putting something out there to make money and then you're getting these forms sent to you that you're like (laughs) whoa this is weird (laughs) yeah oh my home address has to go on the google play store oh my goodness (laughs) and so yeah you you, you're kind of blindsided with this and 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 i think that's the pitfall for these these blind dev uh, crowdfunded events it's just like you know these guys haven't even proven to you that they can put a finished thing out there they've not done it yeah at least some but I, i think we landed on a very good formula and that is to say that like here's what we've done here's an idea we have now, this is going to be largely up to you guys. If this is a, something you're into, uh, let us know by dropping a few bucks in the bucket. And if it if it's funded, we will do it. And if it's not, you will have that money returned to you. Great. No problem. Yeah. And you know what I think will go a long way? is an awesome community intro video explaining that, giving the confidence to the backers that you are confident that you can finish the project. I think that would be very essential. It'd be like... You know, um, you could even say something along the lines of, oh, you know, occasionally we're charged with um, aiming too low. But really the way we see it is guaranteeing the epic experience in this form. You know? Right. Yeah. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you know we can say confidently we can pull this off. Like right. that's a huge thing with the, with the crowd. But, and that comes back again with that proper self-analysis that – that I brought up earlier is you have to really be real with yourself, analyze what you're doing and be like, can I pull this off? Can we pull this off? Can our team do this? Can we really do this? You know, are we going to create this giant virtual reality space simulator that's going to be larger than the actual world itself? Right. And we're, we're pretty much running out of time, but I, I think, I think that's a pretty good look at like two out of the four models. I really wanted to look at. I want to maybe spend another week on this where we can talk about, a little more about like traditional publisher relationships, because I mean, that's obviously still a a method that even independent studios uh, are able to pursue these days. And uh, that's, that can be lucrative. And of course it's very treacherous. And we'll talk about that. I want to talk about, um, I'd love to talk about like the old school, like shareware model. Um, Some of the famous studios that, that made their name for themselves that way. That's, that's always fun to look at and see what sort of influence that had on, on more modern gaming and um, monetizing bigger games. I, I, I think there's more to do, and, and I'd like to talk about more specific successes and failures in each of these different areas. And I, I really do hope that people will sort of um, reach out to us and talk about their experiences. I want to have some more guests in and, and talk about these topics with them, because I think that would be a, a helpful thing to people who are um, hopefully listening to this while they, you know, nurture their own studios and try to get their own operation under the way. Absolutely. Underway. Yeah. So, uh, what is your uh, Twitch channel so people can check it out? It is twitch.com forward slash jrex618. jrex618. If you use a backslash, 
all German pornography, so be very careful. Uh, uh. <laughs> well, now no one's going to go to my stream. They're going to go to the other side. Yeah, now it's all going to be the German porn. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll try again next week. <laughs> yeah. All right. As always, I want to thank my friend John Scheiber for sitting in and chatting with me. If you guys are enjoying this stuff as much as I do, please feel free to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, anywhere else you can find a podcast or uh, care to listen to one. We're uh, all over the web, social media, Twitter, Facebook. We're very easy to find. Let us know what topics you like, what you're enjoying about the show, what you'd like to hear. If you have something you need to promote, reach out to us. We might have you on the show. Anything is possible. So uh, we'll be back next week with hopefully more game development topics, and we'll have more fun guests real soon. In the meantime, my name's Todd Mitchell for uh, Code Right Play and my friend John Scheiber. Thanks, everybody. Keep playing. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>